back to the 20th episode of the Forgecast. My name is Neil Sögren. I'm Sam Towns, and for the 20th episode, we have a very special guest. I'd like to welcome Alex Norton from Valhalla Ironworks. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank- oh, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> good to be back. It's very good right. to be back. Welcome back. And before we move on with the episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor... This week's Forgecast is brought to you by Gamerco Artisan Supplies, the number one place for Aussie blacksmiths and bladesmiths to get their forge kits and burners from. I'm actually rebuilding my entire forge, and my gas burner is indeed a Gamerco burner, and they are fantastic. So visit their website at artisansupplies.com.au, and be sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. So, Sam, you want to tell us about your week? Oh, my week, yeah. It's been pretty uh, full-on. Been uh, working on a bunch of uh, different items, uh, making hammers for customers. I actually completed an English cutler's hammer and a rounding hammer for two custom orders that I got. Um, I also picked up the first order, the first batch of my laser-cut guillotine tool stock. Um, So I'll be sending those off tomorrow. Uh, which will be a week ago week ago when this comes out. But um, yeah, so I'm now stocking um, guillotine tools to sell. Um, I had uh, help from Jake Mantel from Five Pants Fabrication actually had a look at our uh, design and actually kind of tweaked it, perfected it. So uh, it's actually really awesome. It goes together uh, really well now. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really psyched about that one. Otherwise, uh, I've just been trying to whittle away at all of the custom orders I've got. Bowie knives and all that kind of stuff. So it's been pretty busy just kind of here and there picking pieces apart from the from the business. How about yourself, Nils? Uh, great. Uh, it's been a great week. I got a shipment of uh, Maser Björk or Maser Birch. Birch? Birch? Birch. I don't know how yep. it is. Birch. And Massa it was, uh, was uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, really great and beautiful. It was uh, almost 500 kilos. So... A lot of wood. Um, I've been uh, making a knife, and I've been grinding a sword. So that's yeah, I saw that knife. That knife is beautiful. That little Damascus man. knife, lovely, yeah. It's like a Puka Thank you very design. much. Ah, it's uh, David from Sailor Lore Forge. Uh, I asked for some designs because I was bored with doing the sword. I wanted just something to do for two days, and uh, I just bashed that out really quick and uh, finished it yesterday, and... Uh, yeah, it took two days, I think, and it, I'm pretty happy with it. But, you know, I'm not a knife maker. There's, there are a lot of flaws in it, as I said, on, <laughs> in the picture. But but uh, the, the, the Damascus blade is uh, solid. The wood is what I'm not as good at. But right. uh, uh, I have a commission for a sword, so I'm grinding sword all day, and it's super boring because I hate grinding <laughs> swords. It's only fun to forge to- swords. Grinding them, ha- I really hate it. So... Um, yeah, so, and Nils, are you saying that you're bored with the daily grind? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, uh, and I also got uh, my uh, my uh, I I ordered some T-shirts for the shop with my logo printed on, so I got cool. them today. Cool. So um, I'm happy with that, and I also have um, have got a deal signed with uh, Hulta Fors. Uh, they're going to send uh, hammers to me for uh, oh, reviewing. Really? Yeah, wow. so. Uh, 
Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know what uh, that can lead to in the future, but uh, they were really kind. And um, so, yeah, looking forward to trying their hammers. Mm, uh, well yeah, that's basically my week. Uh, how about you, Alex? You want to tell us about your adventures? Yeah, it's been a, a crazy four weeks. An absolute wild adventure. I traveled, um, it ended up being 2,100 kilometers of driving. Um, which for the Americans in the audience is th- about 1,300 miles. Um, and it's such a climate shift. Monday it was negative 10, um, <laughs> sort of the feel, the feels-like temperature, you know, the apparent temperature, um, which is yeah. about 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's, uh, it's very cold here, frost covering everything, thick fog that you can only see about 20 feet in front of you. Um, and, you know, uh, fog's so thick you can't see the forge from my house. And uh, I have this huge <laughs> new workshop uh, and actually separate workshops for my woodworking, uh, one for uh, more tool storage uh, and a giant, it's about uh, five and a half by five and a half meter shed or uh, dirt, dirt floor forge, nice and uh, not flammable, <laughs> which is good. Um <laughs> And I've been working my little tushy off, um, assembling everything. It's sort of taking the time to build my dream forge. Really, it's um, it's worth putting the time in for that. Um, the- it's been looking fan. It's been looking fantastic, man. And I would actually recommend if anyone hasn't followed your Instagram, your photos have been uh, fantastic uh, coming out of Tasmania. I'm, I'm super, super jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really inspired the artist in me a lot just because of the, the natural beauty here is, is unlike anything else on the planet. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who have lived in places like Alaska or Switzerland and, and Norway, places that are known for being stunning, who have visited Tasmania and said this is more beautiful than anything I've ever seen in my life. There's there's just a magic here to it. There's a stillness that makes you, uh, you just have to stop and be in awe. I've been taking photos like mad because I am a photographer <laughs> as well. I'm actually going to start selling some of my prints because people here have been interested in them, um, seeing Tasmania the way that I see them. But uh, that cold, man, it's highlighting the fact that I've got some circulation issues, I think, because my hands just go <laughs> numb and my feet just go numb. But uh, I'm, I'm working on it. Just once the forge is lit, that'll keep me nice and warm. But, um, yeah, that's it. You maybe, can warm your hands over the forge. Yeah, the farm that I'm on is actually 960 acres. And so it's um, there's just nothing for miles in every direction. And... Um, the, the farm actually has a giant steel yard where basically all the old machinery and that gets dumped to just rust away. Uh, and I've been having great fun climbing through there with uh, thick gloves on and an angle grinder and uh, just taking the, the steel that I need to build the new workshop. And um, it's it's been fantastic because as people who have followed me for a while have, have, would have seen things like my forge uh, and my tool racks and things have all been made of wood in the past. Because I am a carpenter as well, and getting steel is expensive. Getting scrap steel is free. So um, <laughs> I, I've started this journey as a very terrible welder, and when you spend all day welding, you get pretty good pretty quick. So um, I've been at least getting a, a, a better better skill with welding in the process and, and learning a lot uh, in the process as well. So it's uh, it's yeah it's been an incredible journey but um i'll actually be firing up the forge for the first time hopefully next week if it, if everything keeps going to plan the way it has been 
Um, there's still a lot yeah. for me to do. Um, I've done my tooling rack. I've done my uh, post vice stand. Of, the forge is complete. Um, the anvils are getting mounted this weekend. I've got some um, peppermint stumps coming, which is going to be pretty good. Peppermint is a type of stringy bark eucalyptus, which grows here in Australia. It's a wonderful, wonderful, tough, hard, heavy wood. And I'm getting uh, some quite about a foot uh, diameter stumps uh, actually a little bit more than a foot diameter stumps being delivered to me on the weekend uh, which means my anvils will finally get to be mounted up and i've still got to do swage block stands and you know i'm trying to minimize flat surfaces um anyone who follows alex Steele knows why that is in a forge but uh, today i built some more attachments for my tooling rack to be able to hold chisels and hot cut hardies and things like that so it uh it's actually um been such a big job that it, we've decided to make it the topic of the week for this week, which uh, we'll mm-hmm. get to in a little bit. After this break. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the point where, you know, because I've been speaking for so long, Nils takes over and leads us into the next segment. Well, that, that, was, that was what I was expecting, but yeah. <laughs> Silence was deafening. <laughs> oh, well, please bit, leave you, leave, no, leave this in the show, weird. please. Yeah, you were please just leave this in the show. by the, the familiar sound of my voice being back on the show. You know, my, That's it. my dulcet caramel baritone. That's it. No, honestly, leave that silence in the show because people will think, think something went wrong. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Sam, they knew something went wrong the moment we started <laughs> Tool time. So, tool, tool time. time. Yes, tool time this week is something that Alex uh, brought up, actually, um, because he's recently uh, made one, as he just mentioned. Uh, we're going to be talking about tool racks and, you know, organizational racks for your workshop. Yeah, specifically um, you- um, where you keep your hammers and tongs, your most useful things. Um traditionally Roy Adams is a really good example behind him in his videos you actually see those horizontally mounted bars across the wall and he hangs all of his hammers up and all of his tongs up and it just makes them quick and easy to access but you can go further and have little containers for chisels and and hardies and all sorts of things um John Switzer from Black Bear Forge has his amazing little swinging arm tool rack that sits on the side of his anvil stand and it just makes the tools that you're going to be using close on hand and accessible it's a small investment of time into your shop but it's a necessary one that stops you from having to leave your hammers and tongs lying around on the floor or on shelves and just grab when you need them and obviously you lose them when that happens and all sorts of things well as as any of my subscribers know um and you know anyone who's watched my youtube videos knows i am the master of organization you know um there is there is there is never a tool out of place in my workshop uh, they're always exactly where I put them, which is normally scattered about on the ground or on the tables or underneath piles of steel. <laughs> um, I actually they never get don't. Dropped. No, not at all. No, I never drop a tool. I never drop tools. You know, that doesn't happen. Anyone who says otherwise is uh, a liar. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't actually have a rack as, uh, you know, <laughs> an official tool rack for my tools. I do have nails hammered into the lathe table um, that my lathe sits on that my tongs are supposed to hang from, um, but they never do. 
I, I think I put them there every time I clean the shed, which is once every two or four weeks, depending. Um, I'll hang up all the tongs and it'll all be nice and neat and all the hammers will go on the shelf where the hammers go. And then, um, the next day, suddenly all of the hammers are everywhere around the floor and the tongs are various places around the shed, depending on where I've left them. So yeah, I definitely need to make myself a tong rack. And I was very interested to see your design because I really like the idea of having the, the multi-level, the multi-tier A-frame style, um, mm. uh, tong rack and, and hammer rack. And I'd, I'd be interested to hear how you came about designing that. Did you copy a design that you'd seen or did you just design it based on your interpretation of what was needed? Well, actually it was, um, when I built my first one, uh, back in Brisbane, it was made of wood, which shocked a lot of people. And, um, (laughs) and I think seeing people's response to the fact that it was made of wood made me wonder if so few people make them because you have, they think that you have to make them out of steel, but you can make them out of Mm. wood. But what made me make that one was I had the same problem as you, Sam. I'd just I'd keep putting things down and tripping over them or losing them or dropping them because I'm trying to balance them on the side of my anvil stands and things like that, and it just ended up becoming a nightmare. So I wanted something no that I could actually – well, I wanted something that I could move around the shop with me, like a rolling trolley originally, and then I, th- I had very little space to work with. I was working in about 2.5 by 2.5 meters, uh, my entire forge was, and it was so cramped that um, I, I wanted to be able to reposition it. So I made um, what would sit very sturdily on four caster wheels uh, and drag around, and the, and the vertical design of having the hammers on top and the tongs down below just made sense. Um, to be honest, after putting them on wheels, I should have put the hammers on the bottom rack and the tongs on the top because <laughs> the it was very top heavy. However, expecting to move it around, I um I, ha- I had those wheels on it. I never moved it. Once I put it into a, a spot, <laughs> I found this really perfect spot for it next to my anvils, and everything was always within reach. So I when I made my new one, which is about three times the size of my old one and made of steel. I decided to not bother putting wheels on it and just position it in the same place uh, in the alignment of my shop. And so uh, I didn't actually take the design from anywhere. It was just um, the original one was portable and I thought, you know, why not just copy? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Copy that and just take (laughs) the wheels off it. Um, It also is very heavy. The whole thing um, without any tools on it weighs about 60 kilos now. And... um, which is good because the old one, like I said, was top heavy and things would fold over. And now I'm used to having hammers on the top. It's just the muscle memory's there. So uh, I wanted yeah. to make the stand itself very heavy so that I could actually have it hammers on top. Yeah. So one thing I have noticed with, because um, I, I did notice someone commented, I'm also sure if it was on your video, if they commented to me uh, in a message, um, that they, they saw that your hammer rack is basically, you know, like two parallel... Um, slats, you know, given that it's now metal, you know, we'll call it slats, but they were planks of wood back then. And the handle goes down through them. Uh, And they were concerned, especially with like, you know, top tools and stuff like that. If you're going to use like hammer eye punches and stuff, that if you put them away hot and forgot about it, because you have to remove them by grabbing the head and pulling the handle out of the, you know, (laughs) pulling the handle out of the hole that you might end up burning yourself. The other thing was that they just found it, they thought it might be inconvenient. Um, have you found that? I know you don't use a lot of top tooling at the moment, uh, other than chisels, which are a different thing entirely. Um, but 
wood uh, angled pegs on the top so that you could just grab the hammer off the side, be a little bit better, or do you reckon that would be less uh, usable? Well, you actually, you hit the top tool on the head with that one. I um, I never used top tools um, back then when I was working in Brisbane. I never worked on anything big enough that required them because I mainly did sort of jewellery and small decorative items. Um, the closest thing they ever got was was chisels and punches. So um, my first top tool you actually made for me, Sam. Um, and yeah. so um, <laughs> if your hammers are getting hot enough to burn wood in your stand when you're putting it back, then you're doing something very wrong. Um, yes. And I never had to worry about that. I never had to think. However. With that in mind, I would actually say um, make it, if you're going to make it out of wood, make it angled um, and ideally make it out of steel or at least steel face it. You could even aluminium face it if you're looking for a cheaper option uh, because aluminium is a fantastic heat sink and a top tool, even one that's been heavily used, if you were to put it back on an aluminium base, it um, it would dissipate that heat pretty quickly before it even scorched the wood. Um, oh yeah, the concern was not about the wood, more about the hands that are grabbing the tool. Um, well, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, doing it out of uh, some sort of metal frame will act as a heat sink and uh, cool the hammers pretty quick. However, it's it's for the specific decisions for my personal uses uh, are always going to be a bit weird compared to other people's because, firstly, <laughs> when I was in Brisbane, I never used top tools, so it wasn't a problem. And now that I'm here. Um, anything that is hot cools within seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's true. I, I'd be interested actually, to see how what the difference is when it's summer. But, yeah. I actually made a... Uh, well, the, the summer here doesn't really get that hot either, and it still gets very, very cold. Um, but I was just making a joke on Facebook earlier that my shitty 15% duty cycle welder is now 100% <laughs> duty cycle welder. It just doesn't overheat. It's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. Right, so um, uh, I wanted to just uh, like for like organization of hammers and tongs. Um, mm. I have been uh, planning on making like one of those Roy Adams, like the older wall. I know that John from uh, Linda Hall Marmory that we interviewed back, he has like that as well, like a lot of different hammers. But mm. then again, he is he is a armorsmith, so he has like way different, like a lot of different types of hammers for for doing all those upsets and you know. Yeah, but it was interesting because he did say that he didn't use them, so. No, but he um, d- does have a lot of different hammers. I don't know what he uses uses them for. I, I'm not that um, involved w- with his business, but but for myself, I I simply just have them hanging off of the 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 forge. Like I have like yep. a um, a steel thing wrapped around the forge where I just put them organized hammers on one side and tongs on the other. But uh, when the forge is done, the new workshop is done. I'm gonna make one of those tool racks on the wall yeah it's interesting you should say that because i've actually got a friend who's got uh you know on his gas forge uh the table that the gas forge sits on is on rollers and uh he's actually made two crossbars on the sides of the forge where he hangs all of his tongs yeah and that's where he keeps his tongs his hammers uh go in loops around the anvil uh, I, I thought used that to was do an that exact same design. setup, to be honest. But then I got too many tongs and too many hammers, and it became impractical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does uh, kind of get that way. At the moment, uh, it works pretty well. Uh, I don't have that many tongs, to be honest. 
so it works for me. But uh, my big problem is the work table because I get lazy and just put everything on the work table besides yeah. my anvil. And then it's like, huh, where is it? And I, le- I le- need to stretch myself to have like an overview look, and, like to <laughs> identify dreaded, where it is. The dreaded actually, flat surface. That, ac- that actually brings me a, uh, a question that I'm going to pose to both of you, but also to our listeners. And if anybody has a good solution, I would love you to email us at ask.forgecast at gmail.com with a, your solution to it. I am building out this new forge to be as organized as possible with all sorts of tooling and racking, and it's been very easy except when it comes to things like uh, the, the either very large or very awkward blacksmithing tools such as drifts and guillotine tools and things like that that are sort of awkward and heavy and odd-shaped. The standard solution in my mind would be to have like a little steel table somewhere that I can lay those things out ready to be accessible. Mm. Um, that makes sense. You know, it's uh, having all the dies for the guillotine and everything laying out there, it makes it very easily accessible. However, I know that I'm going to fall prey to what Nils is talking about, where if there is a flat surface in my workshop, <laughs> it's going to get covered with all manner of garbage and I'm never going to be able to have access to these <laughs> things. So, do you guys or one of the listeners uh, perhaps might want to email in about this, have some sort of solution for those bigger items that actually makes them easily accessible, well-organized, and, you know, can be fabricated easily yourself? Well, like, you know, my yeah. my my ideal is, uh, you know, what I do now, which is just dump them everywhere and eventually <laughs> I'll find them. Um, yeah, it works for me. <laughs> Uh, but no, I'd be interested to hear anyone's solutions to that one as well, because I am terrible at organization. I need to get myself uh, organized better. Yeah, well, but, uh, um, what, what I do is uh, I have like this stone thing, a uh, flat stone, where I put all those drifts on. But uh, if one of the drifts I use the most is, is the axe drift, and uh, I don't have like a swage block, but I have something instead of a swage block, which basically just is a square bar on a, a wood stump right uh, straight up with the two um, uh, round stock welded uh, to the side so I can mm-hmm. drift through that. And I just have the drift resting inside the, that uh, bar so I can easily just take it up. Yes, yeah, that's, that's normally what I do with my hammer drift. I normally stick my hammer drift in my swage block because I've got my swage block standing there and I only ever use the drift on the, sla- on the swage. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's pretty much where I store mine. Um, I See, just finished forging an axe drift, actually, for myself, finally. I forged two for other people. <laughs> but, yeah, so I just finished forging an axe drift for myself, and that's probably where that one will sit as well, uh, is in the in the swage block. See, drifts are a bit easier to store because you could actually have, some, like, a steel bucket, for example, and have all the drifts sitting down in there, and it's nice and easy. You can just pull them out. But something yep. like a guillotine tool, which comes with multiple different dies uh, of different sizes, which need to be accessible nice and easily, you can't. If you just chuck that in a bucket, then you're going to be rifling around through there and wasting valuable time getting the right mm. things. And you need some sort of organizational system for it. Um, I imagine it, it, it's yeah. I'd imagine something like a chisel tray, where you could you know like either a ch- uh, and without a front, so you could like slide them out. Um, you could bolt that to a wall or sit it on a desk, it wouldn't matter. But um, having, like, you know, sections for each set of dies, so you know, you've got your mm. fuller dies, your flat dies, and your butcher dies, and you could just literally pull them out and stick them in your tool, and then when you pull them out, out of the tool, back into the thing. 
and uh, with the guillotine tool that we have you you designed i now uh sell um you could hang that from a hook right next to it because you know it's got the hollow frame so true true that that but would it but would it be aesthetically appealing I don't give a. <laughs> I don't give a swear word about that. No, I'm. I'm Sam doesn't with give a tinker's cuss. That's exactly correct, uh, um, guys. I could give you an example uh, about uh, because uh, I've been working in. Uh, I don't know how the blacksmithing community or community, but like history of blacksmithing in Australia is. But in Sweden, we have like, uh, and uh, Scandinavia, and probably most of Europe, to be honest. But but we have uh, like this tradition of building with logs, like uh, wooden yep. houses. And mm. uh, most blacksmith shops back uh, like 200, 300, 400 million years ago were, were built <laughs> by logs, basically. Not by stone. Millions. Uh, yeah, millions not, mil- not millions. <laughs> and <laughs> I've had the pleasure of... Uh, of uh, being in two of these really old forges lately. And uh, cool. the first one I went to was uh, uh, in Edeby when I had the demonstration. It was from 1859, uh, still working. And they had, like, all their tools were up on the wall. And it was a really small shop. But, I mean, mm. everything was nailed to the wall. Like, every tongue, so you can easily see from where you were standing, which one do I need? I need that one. And all the other tools as well, hammers... Uh, you had like nail things and like everything was nailed to the wall. So that ho- all the walls were filled with tools. And yeah. when I went to the other workshop, which was uh, at the scout camp thing, which I uh, got in charge of, I thought I should make it. Uh, I was renovating that one. I, and I thought I should make it like the, that one in Edeby because that really makes sense. And it's super practical and very easy. So just having everything on the wall, wall, also works. I suppose mm. it's a bit like the the ancient predecessor to the modern pegboard system that you see carpenters usually have their tools up on yeah. the pegboard yeah. on the wall. Um, same sort of same sort of principle. Um, yes, it's trickier to do with things like sets of dies for a guillotine, though. Um, you'd have to build some sort of racking system anyway. Uh, my yeah. particular situation is that I'm kind of in such a large space that I'm in the middle of it. So there's no wall for me to quickly have access to. So it's usually uh, all, all I'm doing is building freestanding stands. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that uh, that's why I prefer smaller places. <laughs> so you can have one, <laughs> one one day I may have a log cabin of my own to be able to do it in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so super cool. super cozy, man. Uh, the thing that I was thinking about. Oh, also, I just wanted to mention. Uh, you used to make the racks in wood. Uh, I also made a rack in wood wh- while I was at the scout camp, but I made it mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, dried, uh, like small timber of birch, uh, uh, just to make it look like you know. Uh, do you what do you say like uh, trustworthy? Old school. Yeah, it looks old <laughs> rustic. School, so, uh, yeah, rustic. I also didn't use nails to to put them together. I actually used uh, wire. Um, very um, rustic you could probably sell that on etsy for eight hundred dollars <laughs> no it's very uh, true. no it's not it's not pretty but but it works fine um i, like I don't me. know guys yeah exactly <laughs> so um before we move on to the topic of the week uh we do have a uh listener 
email. I don't know if he really wants us to read this, but I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> Well, if he didn't ask us not to, then you know, it's fair game. Yeah, suit yourself. Don't uh, don't write us if you don't want us to read it. <laughs> um, so, so this is from Rob Garman from Granddad's Forge. Hey, Rob. He writes, "Run, guys, run!" On behalf of the Ribbon Burner Cult, I would like to warn you that you are going to be, we are going to hunt you guys down with pitchfork and torches. You failed to mention the most superior burner on the planet. Just kidding, <laughs> we still love you. But I am very partial to my Ribbon Burner, and it's qu- quieter and runs on 2 PSI and forge welding temperature at 5 PSI to 10. The upfront cost to build one is a little higher than the other forges, but in the long run... We do save on propane. Awesome podcast. Looking forward for the axe welding video. Have a great week and thanks for a wonderful show. Rob Garman, Granddad's Forge. Wow, that uh, thanks, was uh, thanks, informative. Rob. Yeah, um, I I actually well, okay. So we did actually kind of address it. Uh, I didn't address it in full because I don't use a ribbon burner. When I when we were talking about forge burners, and I said there's a there are two different type of gas burners. Main two da- type of gas burners. There are ribbon burner. Uh, there are sorry. There are forced air burners, which require a blower, and then there are venturi burners. Um, ribbon burners aren't a new type of burner. They're just a forced air burner with a ribbon style uh, flame area, Diffuser. basically. Yeah, this is the, yeah, that's it. The um, collar. Uh, what's the flare? That's the one. Flare. So yeah, they, they in, basically it's just like a gas range. You know, for like your stove top where it's got multiple small holes rather than one large one. Um, and that's basically the main thing about ribbon burners is that they just spread the uh, the gas that you're putting in out over a wider area than a small focalized burner. Um, so it's not actually the burner itself that's actually different. It's just the flare itself. Um, the reason that I don't like using ribbon burners is because they require they, most of them require forced air in order to have the volume of gas to be able to push um, enough gas out through all of those holes to make it viable. Um, I'd be interested to hear if Rob's um, ribbon burner is a Venturi system ribbon burner because I haven't actually seen any Venturi system ribbon burners that are as good as a standard Venturi burner, uh, single, single flare. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Rob, uh, for that. I admit that I did not mention ribbon burners, but yes, they are, they are just a forced air or, you know, most of the time they're a forced air burner, um, just of a different flare type and they are really cool. And I'd really like to get one, uh, for when I make a welding forge, um, which I plan on doing in the future. Rob also has fantastic taste in t-shirts. If you watch his recent videos, (laughs) he does, he does. It's true. All right, so I uh, want to move on to the topic of the week then, boys. Whoa, I'm bleeding. Damn. <laughs> Pretty normal that for time. a blacksmith, isn't it? No, that I time. was just not ready for it. It's that time of the month. month. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watch all of our female listeners get angry. Um, right. Where will you be when bloody diarrhea strikes? <laughs> Oh, uh, by the way, Alex, uh, there was by one the thing... By the way, I, now you mentioned bloody what? diarrhea. <laughs> Alex, I have something to tell you. No, uh, but uh, there is a saying in Sweden and uh, probably everywhere, but in Swedish it goes like this. 
det finns inget dåligt väder, bara dåliga kläder. And that oh, means yes. that yep. means there is no bad weather, it's only bad clothes. Sounds better in Swedish. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty sh- good pretty good saying. Yeah, yeah, because uh, in Sweden we have like nine months of darkness and uh, two months of summer. So I have to say though, Nils, a saying like that can only come from somewhere where the weather problems are cold related, not hot related. <laughs> I, was, I was about to yeah. say move move to a like a rainforest area or you know, maybe like, you know, the middle of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Yes, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong, it, it may be cold here and I may be commenting on the cold a lot, but I love it. I absolutely love it because the humans are exothermic. You can always get warmer, but you can't always get cooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only there's only so many clothes you can take off before it becomes public indecency. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there were some days in Brisbane when it was 45 degrees and 98% humidity where I felt like ripping my own skin off. It was I just couldn't. Yeah. No matter what I did, even hiding behind air conditioning turned down to 18 degrees, you still feel the heat leaching through the walls. It drives you mad. Yeah. That yeah. kind of heat's just horrifying. I, that's the one thing I don't like about Australia, like living in Perth, is the humidity and the heat in, in summer. It's just disgusting. But um, anyway, not on the weather. Um, on to the topic of the week, which we've kind of already been discussing. We've been discussing the organization of uh, tooling and in making tooling racks. But um, basically, the topic of the week is going to be maximizing the use of your space. Mm. Because um, we all, you know, most of us start in a relatively small shop. It's kind of, you know, a rite of passage for many blacksmiths. Some of us are lucky enough to start in a really large blacksmith shop. But most of us are going to start in a small shed in the backyard, or like with Nils, he's going to you're going to be working outside, um, you know, without cover, uh, and so therefore maximizing the small space that you may have to work in is really important, and keeping that organized is really important, which is why it kind of ties in with the tong rack. Uh, and I'm just going to you know take the lead on this one for for the first bit, but because um, mm-hmm. I'm been facing the reality of the fact that I really need to maximize the uh, the use of the space that I have because at the moment I have a six meter by five meter shed and I can barely walk around it without banging into things <laughs> because my the use of the space that I have in there is actually really bad. Um, the forge is really poorly placed. Um, I is it, part of it is because I run two different anvils. I run the striking anvil and I run the main, uh, you know, the, my main anvil uh, in the same spot because that's the best place to have a person swinging a hammer. Um, but yeah, there there is oodles of space that is getting completely misused um, in my workshop, and I actually need to start working on moving a bunch of the stuff that I have in there out so that I can start, uh, you know, making better use of that space. And part of that is building racks like the, uh, the tong rack and hammer rack that, uh, you made Alex. But, um, it's, it's really interesting to, to take a look at some smaller workshops like Clickspring. I'm not sure if you guys follow Clickspring on YouTube, uh, mm. but he's a, he's a watchmaker and, um, He's a if god you watch among his, men, is what he is. Oh, he is fantastic. If you don't watch Clickspring, you need you you need to change your life and watch Clickspring. He does some amazing builds, and um, it's funny because I watched his videos for for ages, eons. 
Um, until and uh, until I met Corin from Gamico, and he's told me that uh, <laughs> Clickspring's shop is three meters long by a meter and a half deep. You Whoa. what? <laughs> no, no kidding. Like it is tiny. This shop is the smallest shop that Corin has ever seen. Um, oh my god! And he does. What yeah, he does? it is. Yeah, exactly. This is my thing. Is that you know, like, can I just um, can I just uh, I just want to segue here for the listeners who have not heard of um, Clickspring. I want to highlight one thing that he did, which will tell you everything you need to know about this man. This is a person who made his own antique style files that were in a very specific size that he needed by case hardening his own mild steel and then carving the files by hand so that he could use them as functional files. And he it, that that tells you everything you need to know about who Clips, Clickspring is. He is um yeah, he's he's actually currently going through recreating the Antikytheria um, mechanism, which mm. is a mecha- which is basically a a time slash weather slash uh, ce- yeah, celestial body movement uh, chart. Uh, that was made out of bronze or brass back in ancient Greece. And he's recreating it using all traditional methods. So he's using, you know, like uh, hand drills that he's hand carved himself. The files were part of that. He used that to file the cogs on the on this Antikytheria mechanism. So he's been doing a series on that. And that's what really got me into Clickspring is him making all of his own tools. He made his own um, soldering irons and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, in the traditional fashion, so it was quite interesting to watch. But his shop is minuscule, and he do- he has a mill, he has a, uh, a lathe and all that kind of stuff. But the lathe and the mill are actually really tiny. They're actually, um, you know, like micro sized versions of the the larger ma- machines themselves. Um, but you wouldn't know it to watch his videos. You watch his videos, and everything is perfectly placed. Everything seems nice and open. And part of that's because of his ca- part of that's because of his camera work, but um, a lot of it comes down to his organization, and it's really obvious in his videos that he has everything have everything has a place for it for itself. And there, I think the main reason for that, beyond the fact that he's probably a very organized person in nature, is the fact that in a, such a small space, you can't afford to have things just lying around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you. When you've only got a, you know, maybe a half square meter of bench space to work on where everything else is filled with tooling, you need to make sure that that half, uh, half meter square of bench space is clear all the time. Mm. So, yeah, that, that was um, one of the reasons I was really excited to talk about the subject is because, you know, that learning that shop was so small was, you know, a mind-blowing experience for me because I was always complaining about the size of the workspace that I had. Um, you know, my shed for, yeah, my shed for me was like, oh, it's way too small, but realistically it's not too small. It's just that I'm not using the space properly. Yeah. Um, and you know, part of that is that I have literally covered every wall that isn't the rolling door with shelving or, you know, tooling. Um, and while that seems like a good idea, what's ended up happening is that shelving has just collected crap. And isn't really an organizational device. Um, <laughs> it's just a place where everything goes to die. Um, 
And um, the, the tooling that I've put on those walls isn't necessarily in the right place. It's like sitting right in the middle of the wall rather than on each end. But then the each end doesn't have enough room for anything else. So it basically just becomes another scrap pile of, uh, of random offcuts and stuff because that space is too small to put anything usable in. So, yeah, yeah organization of space is really important. Yeah, and, I've uh, been... Uh... Oh, sorry, did you... Go? Oh no, I was uh, I was gonna pass it off to you guys because um, yeah. yeah, I'm rambling. Yeah, so uh, for me being outside, it's a challenge because, well, you could like have uh, as many as much space as you want to, but I don't like the idea of that. I like to be like enclosed in a tiny area for what I'm doing <laughs> because I otherwise my mind gets like all over the place. I just want to be focused on one thing and one thing only. So. While building the new workshop, uh, I'm ac actually planning on making it almost a replica of my outside workshop for the forging space. And the other thing that's going to be there is a power hammer and a grinder. That's basically all that's going to be in the workshop other than the setup that I already have. Because I really enjoy it. And um, so, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot, how to, to, to work... Uh, organized from where I am. So I listened a lot to when we had Roy on as a guest, and you can go back and listen. I think it's episode five or six or something like that. Uh, Roy yeah. Adams was a guest, and he spoke a little bit about this. Uh, I think it was in the podcast, or otherwise it was in one of his videos. I don't remember, <laughs> to be honest. Roy actually has a, a marvelous video on the placement of uh, where your forge is in relation to your anvil that's, or vice that's versa. Prob that's probably the one then. But, but um, I... I I have it like very small, uh, like uh, in width. So I have where I have the forge behind me is the work table, and in the middle between is the anvil. So so I yeah. only have to turn basically. I have to take one step. I like a little bit more space than Roy, but but uh, <laughs> I have to turn and take one step, and I'm at the anvil already. Uh, so so everything is very close, uh, and that's basically my thought process going into the workshop build. And also, I wanted to mention. Every all the workshop things is going to be. I'm videoing everything, um, but it takes oh. so long, and I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I'm waiting to release the videos uh, until the workshop is done. Basically, so the first right. episode is uh, already filmed and edited, and the other one as well. So, Alex, how do you think go about organizing? Well, I I learned a lot about my workflow uh, in my old shop because, like I said, it was only two and a half by two and a half meters for the whole thing. And um, it, it very quickly highlights, even when you try and keep it organized, which I, I, I tried my best to keep it organized, it very quickly highlights the things that impede your flow. And your flow is so important when, you, when you're enjoying yourself. I mean, you, you, you don't pick blacksmithing as a vocation or even an <laughs> avocation unless you really enjoy it because there's a lot of strife that you have to deal with, minor burns, cuts, injuries you know, sweat. Um, so you really quickly start noticing the things that get in your way. And for me, it was, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot five and I need a bit of space to swing around a little bit. Um, and my, <laughs> if my feet were kicking things, uh, that really slowed me down. Another thing was never having a place to put um, chisels because I do a lot of decorative scroll work and twists and things like that. And I would have to reach over my anvil to shelving that was on, against the wall behind my anvil in order to get to where my chisels were. 
Um, and the other main thing was that I could never walk all the way around my post vice because it was mounted to the side of my anvil stump. Um, so I only had access to about 270 degrees around it. And so yep. keeping those things in mind when I designed and, and, and building this new forge, I'm, I'm sure I'll run into new frustrations at this one. Um, but <laughs> guaranteed. It's sort of, yeah, you sort of, there's it, actually a lot of people like Alex Steele did a video on, um, you know, learn how to make a leaf keychain and then make a hundred of them. Um, it's kind, yeah. it's it's kind of like that, you know. You you have the things that you make that you know will sell, or what, that you want to give to people, or whatever it is that you're doing blacksmithing for. Just just make them again and again and again, and you'll start finding that um, when you're done, when you've got your steel to heat, you will notice that you will always step in a certain way to get to your anvil, and then try yeah. and make that path clear. Um, while you're about to do a, a twist or something, you may want to put your tongs down somewhere after you've locked the steel in the vise. And if you're always dropping it on the ground because there's nowhere to put it, then put something there. Uh, just to, sort of start yeah. making mental notes about what impedes your flow and then yeah, this, from there. It's, it's funny because this actually ties into our topic of the week last week, which was uh, you know, taking the extra time to you know, perfect your work. Um, I think one of the mistakes that I've made is that I've recognized a lot of the problems with my workspace, uh, and I've recognized that I need to fix them, but I haven't actually taken the time to do it. Um, and I think that's something that we all kind of get into is that we, you know, run into a problem in our workshop, but we kind of go, oh, that's going to be a bit of work to do. I'll get around to it. Or we just kind of overlook it because it's like, ah, you know, it's going to be too much work, you know? Uh, but in the end of the day, I think by not taking the time to remedy the problem or not, you know, maybe it's not a huge problem, but in order to streamline, you know, if we're not taking the time to streamline our process, then we're kind of robbing ourselves of that extra little bit of comfortability in our workshop. And I think that's you know something what, that we need to really focus on. You know what it's a bit like? Did you remember? Uh, Nils probably wouldn't remember because I'm pretty sure this was an Australian TV show. Uh, a while back, there was a show where they would go to people's houses and they would unpack their entire house as if they were moving out. They would take all of the stuff from their house and put it out in the backyard all across the lawn. All their furniture, all their incidentals, everything would be laid out so that they could see everything itemized in their house, like everything. Mm. And then they actually go around with these people and say, what do you actually really want to move back into the house? And then mm. people would find that they would only actually take like half of their stuff back in. Well, So yeah. an, an, an idea that um, has sort of driven me with this is what if you could design your ideal forge? Get a pad, a, pen, a pad and a pen and lay it out, like design what would be there. Not necessarily um, to go extravagant with the equipment. Like, yeah, sure, I'd love a bloody 50 ton press and all this <laughs> you know just be realistic about it. but if you could make do and how would you lay it out what size would you have where would you have things placed and then see how much of that can you actually replicate in the space that you've got because really even if you're saving yourself an hour's work a day by having everything laid out in a nice flow how much more can you get done in an hour a day but also more importantly how much more enjoyment do you get out of working in that space if it's laid out well for yeah. sure. That's not even taking into account ergonomics and things like that. I mean, you can prevent a lot of injury by having things laid out well. 
Yeah, and and actually, funnily enough, uh, although I, I kind of laughed at the prospect uh, earlier when we were talking about the guillotine die um, organizational rack that I was, you know, thing, and and you said, you know, what about the aesthetic quality of that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I laugh because you know it's it's a thing between Neil and Alex that he's the aesthetic guy and I'm the you know function over everything else kind of guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but realistically, I enjoy the aesthetic of a, a good workshop as much as anyone else. And I think that there's something to be gained from having a workspace that you truly enjoy even looking at being inside. Um, uh, for instance, David Delgadell, who was recently on the show, um, the, one of the things I mentioned to him during the show was that I recognized the workshop that he used to work in uh, being used by someone else because of the wall art that was on the back wall of this, this shed. Because uh, David had taken the time to you know, cover the back wood, this giant wooden wall, uh, covered the back wall in all his artwork. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I, I every, oh, every time I saw that wall, I always thought about the idea of how awesome it would be to walk into the workshop and see that every time. Mm. Um, and you know, the aesthetic of like, you know, a wood wall, like, you know, Nils was talking about, um, log cabin forges, mm. you know, like, uh, I, I love that aesthetic and I love that the, the look of those forges. And I think that I would feel, so much better walking into a forge that I was kind of like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing with the workshop I'm building now. It's, it's, it's I want to have it be inviting. I don't want to have it be a groan of, oh, I know I'm going to have to deal with all this shit underfoot when I go in there. Which even <laughs> if you're not con- even if you're not consciously thinking that, you are unconsciously thinking it. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, it's for me, it's the same. I. I have a problem with the fact that I walk in there and it's, you know, a massive sprawling mess of just piled crap. And even when it's really neat, when, when uh, I've had, I've had the luck of having my friend Andy over and he's helped me clean the shed out to perfection, I've still walked in there and it's so disjointed. The whole, the, the feng shui, if I can, if I can be a hipster for a moment of the work of my workshop is, is really lacking something. And, uh, and, you know, I think part of it is the fact that it's so disorganized. Even when it's completely organized, the layout is so very poorly or like poorly worked out that it just, it jars on me. And I think that that actually affects the way that I interact with my workshop. I think it makes it me want to get into my workshop less than if it was aesthetically pleasing as well as being functionally better. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, I think that's a really big thing. I think that, um, especially as a professional who has to go out there every day, I, I want to be able to go into a workshop that I really enjoy being at, not just because of the work that I'm doing, but because of the place that I'm in. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, the, you can never, you know, if you had a house, if you lived at home, uh, if you lived at home, anyway, <laughs> if you had a, if, if your house was a place that you found ugly, if you, it was, if your place, if your house was, uh, a sprawling mess, or maybe it was stark white walls and, you know, glaring fluorescence, you wouldn't want to live there. You wouldn't be as comfortable living there as it would be if it fit your, you know, desired aesthetic, whatever that would be. Um, whether that be a log cabin or something like that. And I think it's the same thing for our workshop, but we don't kind of put that same perspective on it. I think in a lot of cases, or at least I don't. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important thing for maximizing use of your space is not only finding the functional aspects of the space that you can improve, but also the aesthetic 
um, you know, kind of presentation of your workshop. Well, it's the feng shui, isn't it? And that's it, the feng shui. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I think... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that you don't uh, you don't eat where you shit and you shouldn't eat shit where you eat either. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, keeping it... Uh, like, I imagine the new workshop uh, w- that I'm building, it's 25 square meters. It's not that big. But I imagine... I want it to be like... Enough. It's very... It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's definitely big enough for me, and it's very high in the roof. So I, I I'm planning on like really, like <sighs> make it. <laughs> Whoa. I, I re- I'm sorry. I hate you because like my my workshop roof is only two point three meters tall at the peak. Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I can literally reach up and and touch my roof, which means that every time I work in the forge, uh, even on a cold day. Uh, after the forge has been running for an hour, the workshop is like an oven because the heat all gathers around my head. Um, yeah, I would like. I would I'm, like to take this moment to point out that the workshop roof in my new place is three point eight meters tall. I hate you too. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> same for me, basically. I would, I would gladly put my shed on jacks if I could. Like, if I could change one thing about my shed, it wouldn't necessarily be the floor space. It would be the roof height. The ceiling mm. height would be so much better if it was like a half meter taller. Yeah, but uh, I mean, but anyway, it really, it really gives that. Uh, you know, my workshop is like two and a half meters wide, but very long and yeah. very high in the middle. Um, and descending on both sides, but but it's super cozy walking in there. You feel like you're almost in a, I don't know, <laughs> cozy <laughs> place. <laughs> I guess you so, feel so, at home. Yeah. So I mean, taking the time to really like putting up posters, maybe or flags like Alec does, Alec Steele does, and whatever, Actually, painting the wall, maybe. An interesting point would be with that long workshop, you might be better off uh, partitioning off half of that. Um, and making half of it your forge work room and half of it your grinding room so that you don't get grinder dust coming into your forge room. That's um, the plan. That's, that's what I've yeah, done. Yeah, because I, well, yeah, I hate both of you because I can't do that. <laughs> well, to, to be honest. Big, a big, big square shot like mine, you just, you can't do that because partitioning off half of it makes the space like a quarter of the size. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm going to like, uh, uh, not make a new room for the grinding, but but like uh, sectioning it off a little bit close to the door is my plan. Yeah, or, put a put a wel- welding curtain. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And also, I do ha- plan to have a wood workshop in the future as well. I already had room in place, but it's a gym for the moment. So <laughs> fair enough. That's for the future. Ever so since uh, taking up blacksmithing, I haven't needed a gym. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, all right, so we're coming up on the hour mark, uh, guys. Mm. And uh, we uh, have, um, if you want to ask us a question or send us an email, uh, just chatting or whatever, you can do that at ask.forgecast at gmail.com or you can find us at Instagram at the.forgecast on Instagram where you can also send messages and follow our weekly endeavors um, and you can find me on Instagram and uh, YouTube at uh, Nils Ögren or Ogren depending on your keyboard as usual and where can you find Sam? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith uh, on Instagram Facebook, YouTube Patreon and Etsy and Alex? 
You can find me under Valhalla Ironworks. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and also Etsy. And I've just reopened my Etsy store after a month-long uh, break where it was closed while I traveled. So it's uh, you'll be seeing some new items coming back up on there as uh, I get back to work. Woo. Awesome. So, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you, guys. Bye. See ya. Hey!